How's everyone doing here? I think I've met most of you, if not all of you, Alan, Brad, Catherine, I think we met at a meeting or? Yeah, we met briefly. We met the GBM, yeah. Yep. Nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice to have you back. Yeah, happy to be here. What yeah, you thank you. Thank you again for coming on. Sure. We all appreciate it greatly. Yeah. What have you guys been up to during the, uh, the pandemic to keep yourselves active physically and mentally? <sighs> Uh, we, we actually uh, just recently challenged each other to do kind of like a, a workout uh, type deal, like a weekly workout challenge uh, where we'd get the 150 minutes every week. Huh? And uh, I think a few of us did running, a few of us did hit, a few of us did like pyramid workouts. Yeah. And that was a pretty cool experience. We talked about it last week on our podcast. Oh, very cool. Good, yeah. good, good. You're doing that uh, live. You're able to track each other, like with a with a personal device or just. Uh, we're not that high tech. <laughs> nice. Some we're uh, um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're taking everyone's word for it. So right. Yeah, right. we are logging but, our pro like our progress on an Excel sheet. But okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 The honor system. <laughs> yeah. We got some friends up in in the Northeast in New York and New Jersey, and they can get pretty um, competitive. And uh, they, they try to track each other live, and there's some some neat stuff out there. But you gotta you gotta make do oh, with it cool. and keep yourself head, healthy, physically and mentally. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely important right now more than ever. So, hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in, uh, intentionally or even just stopping by to check out this podcast. Uh, we're UCSD EIM, which stands for Exercise Is Medicine. Uh, both our organization and this podcast's purpose is to raise awareness about exercise and nutrition as a means of maintaining health and preventing disease, which includes COVID-19. And we also aim to promote professional interest and development with a focus on the various careers of uh, sports medicine. And uh, just to be clear, the information we talk about today is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, we are not medical professionals. Well, Dr. Vitali is, but uh, none of the information that we speak about in this podcast is to be misconstrued as medical advice. Yes, very important fact. This is for education and entertainment and as a means to stimulate everyone to go out and uh, seek medical advice and get yourself educated uh, medically or otherwise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I think where I want to start off is kind of at the beginning. Uh, so like the, the origins of Dr. Vitale. So yeah. where, where did you grow up? What was it like? Yeah, it's great. From, you're from the East Coast, right? Could talk talk all day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. My my origin story, so to speak, uh, not that exciting. It's not 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 a movie um, <laughs> movie material. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in the Northeast, actually on Long Island, New York, on a coastal town, uh, kind of in the middle of the island on the north coast. Uh, grew up well, sort of like San Diego during the summer months, but then obviously it gets pretty cold and rainy and a little bit snowy in the winter too. So um, I, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to say where my, my um, inspiration started in terms of becoming a, a, a doctor. Probably I would say um, is high school where it really started to become uh, more apparent to me. I mean, my, I, I did a number of sports in high school, not all that mm -hmm. well because I kept getting injured. I, I, I played football. <laughs> Did wrestling, I did soccer, I did uh, cross country, uh, track and field. Um, 
it was actually a lot of fun being in New York. I got to to go to a lot of a lot of races at some famous New York City parks like Van Cortlandt Park up in the Bronx, Bear Mountain. If anyone's from New York, Sunken Meadow, which is out on Long Island. But as a result, I got a lot of a lot of injuries. I got uh, this thing called jumper's knee. Um, my friend got shin splints, and he was just out and he couldn't run. And I found that fascinating as a as a ninth grader. Saying, oh, what what could happen with running that could just put you on the sideline? Then I had a couple injuries, not to get too far into my medical you know background, but uh, I actually had a a spinal uh, injury, a certain kind of fracture that was pretty pretty devastating um, and painful, of course. Uh, which started opening my eyes up to the world of, of recovering from an injury, learning about sports medicine, learning about the rehab of it. Uh, so I would probably say it started in high school. Of course, it, it then continued in college. I, I guess I didn't get any better at um, <laughs> being an athlete. I, uh, I, you know, I did learn what, what we all do in, in, in college. You join some, uh, some league or an intramural or a club uh, activity I did I did flag football. I did uh, oh, very cool softball. It was fun. Um, I I did some. I started to explore a little bit of uh, the the Eastern world. I was a very traditional American, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy. And then I got into college. My my world kind of expanded like it does for everyone. And I started getting into the martial arts and and I started dabbling in a little of those. Of course, got injured in those too. I, I started to do, uh, <laughs> started to do physical therapy when I did the first formal course of physical therapy for some injuries. Um, and actually, initially, I thought I would, I would be a physical therapist. I actually volunteered in a, uh, a, a PT center. Uh, I was thinking about going to physical therapy school um, and and becoming a becoming a PT. Um, that's, uh, let's see, was it college? Yeah, I think it was college when I actually had my first MRI though, it was a knee injury. Uh, it just wouldn't heal and recover. And back then, this was back in the, uh, 19, early 1990s, um, uh, MRI tech was kind of very brand new and it really wasn't that good, but it was a new thing. And I said, wow, this is so cool. The medical world is, is maybe a little more interesting than, than the PT world, for me at least. Um, uh, so then I started to get a little bit more interested in, in, the, in the medical um, uh, field. That, that's probably where things kind of got, got off the ground. My, my dad is a longtime school teacher and my mother um, was a nurse that then became a nurse practitioner. So I guess it's in my blood, so to speak, if you combine those two, that I would probably go into a medical field and probably be involved with some university doing teaching in some aspect um, as a result. So that's, uh, that's where it all got started. Very, very cool. Um, so do you think what motivated you in particular was your injuries or being exposed to physical therapy or yeah. kind of the science, understanding the science behind it or yeah, in, in high school, of course, I loved all the sciences, you know, period. I didn't like English and like history, I didn't like any of those. So it was clear <laughs> that science was, was the road that I was going to take. Uh, and I just being a, a science guy, the, the, the science nerd or geek, I just want to learn about whatever's out there. So that was just inherent. It was just nice to learn about any condition. And if it happened to me, I would want to learn about it. So I got some injuries I wanted to learn about. But it was definitely the experience, the exposure I got being involved in a profession, in this case, physical therapy, 
um, on both sides of the coin. One as a patient myself, but then to provide, I was a volunteer. I, I provided care. I helped bring over some hot packs and ice packs and I got to see a lot of stuff and a lot of injuries, which by the way, now is a lot harder with a lot of patient privacy rules and regulations. It's just so much harder for you guys to get that experience. But if you can, that was definitely it where I said, oh, this is, this is cool. This is what I want to do uh, for my life. So yeah, you can only get so much from, from books and well, you know, you know the internet, um, uh, you, you got to get that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh good. Sorry. I had like a, maybe it's too specific to me, but I had a question, like you said that you were interested in physical therapy cause you were obviously volunteering there, but then you said like you had an MRI and that was what pushed you to like pursuing a doctorate degree. Cause like, I'm sort of in the same boat. Like I'm volunteering at a physical, well, actually I was when I was in San Diego, but now I'm home cause you know, pandemic, gotcha. but yeah, I was volunteering. And then, I mean, I've like weighed the two and maybe like I'm in a similar position as you were, but like what really like pushed you that way and away from physical right. therapy? So probably for me, uh, it was a little more the the science of something than the more hands-on treatment aspect of it. Um, this was back in the early 1990s that physical therapy wasn't all that advanced and it's certainly not the profession that it is now. It's amazing now. Everyone's getting doctorates in physical therapy now. It's an incredible profession to be involved in now. But if you go back, oh boy, um, 20, 20 years, uh, you know, in time, um, it was a little more the, just the interaction, the hands-on, the one-on-one -on -one and the treatment of a, of a patient and a condition, um, which was interesting to me, but I was still wanting to get back into the science of it and seeing an MRI, seeing anatomy in 3D for the first time, because I had no idea, you know, what that was. I hadn't taken an anatomy course yet. Um, that was so fascinating for me. Um, and it just kept calling, so to speak. It's, it's just one of those, one of those things. Um, so that's how I got, I, I, my path kind of veered. I hope to get an epiphany like that. <laughs> Hopefully it hits happen. soon. There'll be something, just keep getting out there and get experiences. You know, you read as much as you want. Great. Go, click on lectures and, and podcasts and, and videos, but getting that experience is second to none, which now, I mean, everyone's hands are tied. Gosh, it's, it's hard now. What are you guys doing to, to stay involved? I'm curious. Can you get any experiences or everything is, is shut down for you guys you know, at UCSD or wherever you guys are? Uh, I mean, for the most part, I, my volunteering got shut down. Uh, my lab got closed, but I think we're reopening soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm still, still able to work like remotely as a medical assistant, just okay. like a little bit, but right. that's about it. That's good. So it's hard. It's really hard. I know, and I, I feel bad for all the, the the upcoming grads that are looking for a job. Never mind flying, applying for secondary or higher education. Um, they're they're having trouble. Yeah, my heart goes out to you guys. Keep keep it up. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, what what type of medical school applicant were you? Yeah, great. So when great you eventually question. decided in college, right, that you wanted yep. to go to medical school. Yeah. So um, I. Again, this was uh, 1996, so 2006, 2016, 24 years, I guess, when I put the application in. 
Uh, it was a little different ball game back then, but still the core tenets are there. It's still there. You got to have you know, your GPA, you got to have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was your average, fairly well-rounded applicant. Um, uh, it, it is actually, if you want to uh, talk about this, I'm, I don't think I'm giving away any trade secrets, but I have been involved <laughs> over the years with NYU, uh, where I went to med school, um, with uh, UCSD, not with any... Um, power for decision making, by the way, in case anyone has, has interviewed with UCSD, I don't make any decisions for getting you getting you into medical school. But I mean, I'm in the realm, I'm in the world. Um, some things are similar, some things are, are a little, little different now. But when I went to med school, it was just be, be, be well rounded, you have no idea if you're getting in, there's not as many medical schools back then as there are now, there's still a, a tons of applicants, there's probably more now. So just do one of everything uh, was kind of the mantra back then. And that's what I did. Um, the, uh, when I finally became serious for medical schools, when I was realizing I was able to maintain that GPA, because you just don't know first year in college and, and um, second year in college, I was lucky in my first year because I actually was already taking some AP classes in high school. And then I ended up just retaking them in college. So I was able to keep a, a high GPA. I already Solid used. A's, right? Yeah, I was taking the class the second time. The first year was easy. I don't want to say that because yeah. college is hard. But the second year when I started taking some of the more upper level biology and chemistry classes, and I was able to maintain that upper three-ish GPA that you, you want, um, uh, of course, as close to four is, is better. <laughs> Uh, that's when I realized I could probably do it. And that's when I dove in and said, all right, I need one volunteer experience. I need one research experience. I need one, uh, you know, service experience, this or that, just to make sure I was, I was well-rounded. Uh, I had looked into my, my, my life profile, if you will. And I had realized, well, actually I'd, I've kind of been, been doing that. Um, I, I had volunteered for Habitat for Humanity, if you guys know what that is, where you're building mm -hmm. houses for the homeless or people in other, you know, situations back when I was in junior high and early high school before I even knew what was going on. Um, I had volunteered for an ambulance, uh, the, my local town's ambulance uh, team, um, just because it was a lot of fun. And then because I had a parent who was in the, the, the medical field, it was just a relatively comfortable area for me. Um, so I realized I kind of had that. I said, oh, gee, I, maybe, I, maybe I am meant, meant for, for med school. One thing I didn't have is research. Um, <laughs> that was hard because uh, I was doing, I was, I'm already kind of behind, behind the game compared to everyone else. I, I didn't really have a... Um, research experience. So I just looked around in my college and back then, and this still, still holds true now. In fact, it's even more true now, as long as you had any research experience that, that counted a lot of my, um, classmates had real hardcore medical experience. Cause back then you were able to get right into the hospital and, and run blood to labs and, and, um, uh, interact with patients. And I did a little bit of that, but my, you know, basic science bench research was in plant biology. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I was doing like chromatography. I remember just seeing the, the colors blend and, and just doing all the weird things with chlorophyll and um, completely not useful for my, for my career. 
but it was a research experience and any research experience counts. So that was my application. I was just one of everything uh, with a good enough GPA, good enough MCAT, um, where I was just kind of fairly well-rounded um, or, or so to speak, a, a fairly polished application. Nowadays, it's, it's um, well, it's a little different, but it's also the same. You want me to talk about mm -hmm. that, some of the, some of the points? Yeah, I mean, that, would, that would be great. <laughs> probably already know it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really groundbreaking here, but um, getting into med school now is still similar. I mean, the, the AAMC website, because now everything's on a website, it wasn't, there, there was barely any websites back when I was applying, um, gives you all the good information on the basics. You know, there's that careers in medicine uh, path um, that you can just find it on the website, just CIM uh, is what you look for, um, where it gives you a, a background. There's just the whole guide of applying to med school, and that's obviously where you should start. What a lot of people have done, unfortunately, they did it and then they didn't get in. So they got to find out what was missing in their application. The, the major components now for medical school, obviously there's the MCAT that hasn't changed, but there's a new scaling system. Mine was, in, you know, as long as you had tens in each of the three areas and then a letter for your English part, um, you, that was considered good. So a 30 plus kind of a, a letter closer to Z than A on, on your, you know, which is completely foreign to you guys now. That was good. Now it's kind of in, in the 500s, basically, if you kind of hit your 500 or 100, like 125 on each of the areas. And actually, most good med schools want you to be closer to five, 515, I think, now, if I, if I got the, the latest. Yeah. Um, some DOs yeah, like be a little lower. Is that right? Yeah. What's what like, uh, for reference, I think like Harvard wants like 521. <laughs> yeah. I think the, but that's, median. that's like the upper echelon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But the median, I think, is five. 12 or 510 if i if i remember from the last round um so if you can get a little bit so. like 515 i think you're 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 good um now it's different we just had one interview back then it was one person and if you got lucky and hit it off with that person you're able to have a good conversation you 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 were lucky now there's the the mmi you know there's this kind of multi uh interview you know panel uh, and you got to work on your your interview skills now. It, it is it is really a skill to develop, um, and actually things like this where you're doing multiple people involved in in a, a conversation um, that's a good a good skill to develop. So keep doing that. Um, your overall GPA obviously still still holds true, but your science GPA is being increasingly looked at because a lot of people want to do a major in art history, for example, and not biology or chemistry. Um, so they, they look at that subset of the science GPA and see how you do it. So a lot of people are, are just making sure they have that dialed in. And now, at least at UCSD, um, informally, um, where you went to school is less important now. Uh, you, know, you, you can go to the name brand school or, or not nowadays. Um, Certainly one thing that is, which is the same thing in all other states, is that California and New York and a lot of other, they do give a slight preference to California residents. So in case you are applying, uh, you know, Cal if you're in you're a resident of California, you, you may have a little more weight to your application. Um, that hasn't <laughs> changed as much, okay. a little, slight, slight <laughs> preference um, is what, what they say. Uh, and they want that, the, you know, all states want kind of their homegrown uh, folks, so to speak. So they give you a slight preference. Uh, but then this is where it gets very gray. So each school generates just a final number based on the components of your application that you're, you're, you're graded by. 
Um, most schools, if not all schools, have some minimum threshold. But each school has their own priorities and weighting system in terms of what they deem important for their school and the experiences that their students get in their curriculum. So it's good to be well-rounded still. You know, you want experiences in multiple areas. And maybe I'm not saying anything, you know, shocking, but at least you're hearing it from someone on the other side that's been seeing this. Uh, so you want that, that breadth, that breadth of experience. But schools want to see some kind of depth, at least in one area. Um, you know, so it's kind of like that T model, right? The breadth of experience of a lot of uh, things in, in uh, mild detail, but you have, you're well-rounded, plus at least showing that you have the capacity to, to, go, to go far, to some commitment, to follow something, some dedication. So that depth of experience, so you want to have that T model in your mind. But what it is, doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If you dove into plant biology, then fine, that works, good. And I remember talking about that on one of my interviews because the guy just happened to like plants. I don't know, maybe he's a gardener, who knows? Uh, you know, but if it's in something else, great. Uh, it just, it's a representation of, of your commitment because med school, you're gonna be you know, tested. You wanna have that, um, that track record. And then lastly, having some experience close to, if not in a medical system is certainly valued. Um, but many students just can't, like we were talking about, just can't get close to that nowadays with patient privacy and the HIPAA regulations. It's very hard to shadow um, uh, people in the medical field. So wherever you can dig out a, an experience or, or scratch out some kind of exposure to the medical world in any way, you're, you're probably going to be a little bit ahead of your peers because it's just so hard nowadays. That's why I was asking if you guys are able to do something, keep it up, because so many people are not. So that that's that's med school. I just wanted to, in case you were about that. <laughs> okay, so uh, one more question about that. Do you yeah, think sure. that your application, like uh, grades, MCAT, that type of stuff, or how you tell your story is more important at the end of the day? Uh -oh. So when it was in my day, the grades got you in the door, uh the interview got you the got you the job kind of thing that old that old history um you i was fortunate to have a good enough gpa that i was able to get an interview but my i i failed each one of them um i had horrible experiences in my first six interviews i would say and then the seventh one went well the eighth one was like a, a slam dunk um i was just horrible at it. i didn't have any good any experience um and I, unfortunately, I got in. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> now you have this 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 kind of panel, or, or I mean, every med school is a little bit different, but you you get interviewed by multiple people, um, and sometimes you just don't even have enough time to tell your story. You have this great, polished, ready to go statement about your whole history and why you're so passionate about medics and this and that, and your time's up already. Um, because they're already grading on all these other things. Like, well, let's look at the rest of his application on this piece and this piece and see how he goes. And as long as you don't completely mess up the, the interview where you look like you're someone, I remember one of the interviewers would say, this is a guy I don't ever want touching patients. We're not having him in. They, you can get that answer within like three minutes of talking to someone. You know wow. if, they're, if they're ready. There's not as, as much um, in terms of, failing any one interview because there's there's so many other ones uh you know going on so it's a little different world than what i was involved in um but practice practice practice
Yeah. <laughs> okay, definitely. Um, so you completed your your MD degree at NYU, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was that was fun. Talk about that. Yeah. Probably the most. Was it was it hard? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that uh, it's it's neat now to be involved at UCSD, which is a public institution. Everything very transparent, and and being involved in in the major regents of the UC with all the other UCs, UC Davis, UCLA, et cetera, et cetera. That was a private institution, NYU, and in, in more of the kind of traditional uh, world, the, the, the uh, more closely to the Ivy League type of schools. Um, it was very traditional, uh, very book-based, very lecture didactic-based where someone talks at you and you just better learn it and then reproduce that on a test and, and re, you know, learn and regurgitate, so to speak, is what they kind of talk about. Just spit it out, what you just learned on a, on a test, and you, you pass. Um, it's very different now. But it was very hard. We had these amazing lectures that were so detailed in immunology or microbiology, going much farther than you would actually have to know, because uh, some of them were PhDs, not necessarily MDs, and they they weren't practicing medicine. They were they were working on their research, and um, it was great to learn from them. But it was it was intense. Um, I was fairly lost actually in medical school. I did not have uh, any doctor that went through medical school in my family, so I had no idea what the process was. Um, I didn't have a careers in medicine type of thing uh, on on the AMC or some medical schools actually have a careers in medicine elective now that you can take. Um, I think uh, there's still, they still have this, right? There's this uh, personality assessment type of thing on the uh, AAMC website that kind of matches your personality with a, with a career. Um, they didn't have any of that. Uh, I, I just kind of thought everything must be um, important. You know, college, okay, I got to learn organic chemistry just so I can pass the MCAT and then get into med school where everything is actually important. Um, I'm never going to use physics in, in medical school. I didn't think I would, but you do sometimes amazingly. So I didn't know, and I thought everything was, was I'm going to need to know this for the rest of my life. So I was studying everything like I had to know it all, and, and it's not exactly the case. Um, if you go into dermatology, you might not need to know the uh, inner workings of the vasculature of the heart if you're not ultimately going to be putting in stents and cannulating uh, you know, people with heart attacks, um, and then and then and then vice versa. But I thought everything was important, so I got really overwhelmed, and I was I was kind of swamped. At one point, um, in the first year during the winter semester uh, or quarter, um, I, I was having trouble keeping up with coursework because I was trying to learn everything and read everything, and not able to kind of see the big picture. I, I wasn't um, my my exam scores were starting to slip. I, I was wondering if I would, if I, if I was going to drop out, so to speak. Um, but I was lucky. I had had some supportive friends and, and family. I remember one friend very, very well. One of my good friends um, would visit me in New York City uh, and, and hang out on the weekend, and told me just do, do, do what you want. I said, do, do what I want. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I thought I had to take all the required courses, which uh, you know, like biochemistry, microbiology, whatnot which weren't necessarily what I liked. And I thought I had no choice. I had to learn everything in medicine. Um, but I, I just got 
got overloaded. And then I realized that there was a, there was another kind of sort of speak aha moment where I realized, yeah, you're right. If I don't go into, you know, bugs and drugs in the world of microbiology and infectious disease, and I'm ultimately not going to be prescribing a lot of antibiotics for my career, I might not need to know every single last detail. Uh, and then I can focus on exactly what I, what I want. Um, so that was very, very exciting, and it kind of reignited, uh, reignited the fire. But it, it was, it was tough for, for, for quite a while there. So you started focusing on like uh, anatomy and physiology kind of stuff, or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's kind of interesting how, how uh, kind of that that reignited the fire, so to speak, in the in the spring after the winter. It actually just happened to be when. Uh, the coursework was moving to the the orthopedic or the MSK musculoskeletal block, um, and I had a I had a lecture by a sports medicine physician who gave the anatomy lecture of the shoulder, and I was just that that kind of helped uh, <laughs> just hooked off, and I got inspired. And he this was great. He at the end of the lecture he said, "Yeah, we have a little uh, work study program over the summer because over the summer in your first and second year you do have the summer off, and a lot of people use that." to do something like get a publication or something else to build your resume yet again for residency. Um, and uh, he kind of very quietly mentioned it and I just kind of ran down the the, the, uh, <laughs> the steps as soon as the lecture was over said, I want to do that. Uh, and um, it, was, it was great. And that's where I got exposed to the world of sports medicine and rehab medicine. Um, I got a chance to start to work with physical therapists, um, which was nice because it was kind of nice uh, full circle there. Um, and I got exposure to the medical field of PM and R, physical medicine and rehab, which I ultimately um, went into before I then did the subspecialty in sports medicine. Uh, that was kind of unique because my medical school at NYU had a, had a very strong rehab program. They were heavily embedded in, they had a freestanding rehab hospital there. Um, you don't get that experience at other medical schools. For example, UCSD does not have that here. Um, it tends to be a little more of an East Coast thing, so to speak, compared to the West Coast, because the field and the, the medicals have especially developed more in the East Coast than in the Midwest and kind of progressed um, towards the West Coast. So, um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And I and I just just kind of hit the ground running from there. I, I can tell you about other experiences I had if you want. Um, yeah. So um, do you believe that uh, that work study program helped you gain your residency at NYU as well? Yes, 100%. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> the summer experience between first and second year in med school is very important, and it still is to this day, because you're still largely doing college type of classes. You're in the classroom first year and second year, and then in general, the third year and fourth year out in the wards in the hospital and the clinics. Medical schools now are, are transitioning you, so you do have one or two classes right from first year where you're immediately in the hospital and getting exposure and learning to clinically correlate your basic science teaching with what's happening, uh, which is great and very progressive and integrative, and that's awesome. But it's still, in general, two years, two years. And in between that first and second year, you have a free, a free summer. You're not yet studying for the, for the step exam or the boards. Um, it's, it's wide open to you, but now you have a whole year of medical training Plus, you got the all-important ID saying, now I am a medical student, so you can shadow <laughs> finally and volunteer in all these different areas, kind of wherever you want. You just got to find a doc that'll take you on in that medical school because you're both, you know, part of a, you're both um, uh, either a student or a faculty and have an appointment in the same system. 
So that was incredibly pivotal, yeah. Um, and I remember other students would pick a, an emergency, um, the, the, the emergency room work study elective shadowing experience, which was another really popular one. Some people just didn't know what to do and they just picked it. And sure enough, in, in, in fourth year, they're applying for an emergency medicine residency because it still resonated with them. It was such an exciting experience for them. So that, you know, once you get into medical school, um, that's a great opportunity for you guys to, um, to do. Yeah. Um, what else? Can I, yeah, go ahead. I had a quick question. So when do you have to, or when can you stop building your resume? I mean, I know that doesn't yeah. sound great, yeah. but no, I'm just no, like, I'm, it's like intimidating no, to no, hear no, that very, like you're always no, having to like add something. Very valid question. So in general, yeah, once you're in medical school, you're, you're, you're done, you're in, you made it in, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to flunk out. They can't really fail you, so to speak, in the traditional sense. And as long as you keep just plugging away and doing your classes and going through all the rotations, you'll graduate med school, you'll get a medical degree, you'll get into a residency, and you'll continue on with your life. It kind of depends on what you want to do with your life. Because uh, there's gradations of everything. Some people want to hang up the shingle, so to speak, of their own private practice in some town where they live in or wherever they're from, where it's just, you know, so-and-so, MD, uh, PC. Sometimes you see that where they kind of make their own business, where they're just a, a one-person business. And that's all you need. You just need your degree and your license and you're done. Some people want to go into... Um, become a medical scientist, so to speak, be an MD that does research just because they're fascinated by that. For that, you're going to need a few more experiences. You can't just go from your local um, town to suddenly being involved in NIH, you know, projects. Um, but you, you can do it. You just got to build some, some experiences. Uh, for me, I just like to be in the academic world. So I just wanted to be around teaching and um, to me, that was more fun than work. So it wasn't really intimidating and, and stressful and a source of, you know, a, a tough time. Like, oh gosh, now I got to get this experience and now I got to get this experience. And that's what it should be. It should be something fun and enjoyable. And that's where those assessments, like that careers in medicine um, option, where you look into what type of fields might be, might sync well with you. Maybe you already know, who knows, but um, if, if you don't know, that's, that's a great opportunity because then it can help you know what you want to do. And then when you like what you do, you know, your work is not work. It's, it's fun, right? As, as the saying goes. Um, so you end up accumulating experiences that are just fun and enjoyable and they end up helping you if you want to do something uh, bigger and better. It's probably the easiest way I could explain that. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Look for fun and then look yeah, from the yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do, you know, they, they talk about that, right? Do you, you want to do what you love. Um, but, you know, if you love uh, Belgian waffles or something like that and you want to make waffles for a living, that might be kind of hard to do, realistically speaking, unless you're the best waffle maker in the world. <laughs> um, you might want to do what you like, <laughs> not what you love. But also do, you know, find, find your, your passion. If you can become passionate about something, even if you don't love it, you end up getting 
you know, obviously better at it because you're passionate about it. And you kind of build a love for it, so to speak. It's really interesting the, 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 how, how that kind of works. Um, so I'd say do, do what you like. Um, doing what you love might be shooting for the stars and you might get kind of disappointed if you can't do that one thing um, that, you, that you truly love. Uh, what so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So, uh, what, what led you to start teaching at, uh, cause you, you became an assistant professor at NYU, correct? Yeah. So, uh, let's see, as I went, I was following through, your residency. Yeah. So as I went through medical school and then got to, got to, to towards internship, um, I, I, I ended up, let's see, what did I do? I, I was doing some more, so to speak, volunteering. Cause it was fun. It wasn't, wasn't work and kind of building my resume. I did that um, in a uh, actually a, a cardiac stress lab doing exercise stress tests because I found that interesting. Um, uh, I have someone in my family history that I had a heart attack at a very early age and it was incredibly um, inspiring, humbling, a little scary at the same time, but um, almost empowering that I want to learn more about that. And I, that also just continued to drive that wheel of exercise and, and as a form of medicine and health. And, Volunteered for some exercise stress tests. Um, one point I started thinking about doing acupuncture as a form of kind of healing and rehab because probably from some of that influence in college doing all the, those martial arts things. Um, and that started to frame what I was gonna do with my life. And I realized, well, I still like the, the science of things and, and the, the, the learning of, of how acupuncture could help someone or what, how, stressful do you have to put your heart before you get EKG changes? And I realized I still like the learning and, and the science and the teaching and the academic world. Not so much I want to find out the missing uh, DNA sequence of this and that, which might be more obviously a research pathway, um, or I just want to dive so far into uh, patient care and just want to be the guy in the emergency room that gets called in at midnight to do this amazing procedure to save someone's life, which is incredible, but that's not really me. Um, so it, my medical school experience still kept building the, uh, the, the street that or the pathway that I was going on towards academics. When I got into internship and residency, which was still at NYU, it was obviously heavily academic uh, based residency. You can do residency at uh, more local private um, medical centers uh, where they have amazing doctors and an incredible education and a residency experience. But uh, if it's affiliated with the university, you're obviously going to have an academic flavor to it where your attending might teach you about some disease, but then say, this is an interesting case report. Let's make a poster about it and present it at a conference. And then you, you get shipped off to New York or Florida or Orlando, wherever you're doing, and, and present a poster if you like that. And that's, that was actually awesome. I remember doing that. That was a lot of fun. Going to conferences and, and uh, meeting other people and learning about um, what everyone's doing. So that kind of just continued to steer me towards academics and stay on board at NYU after internship and residency to be an attending there um, and, and be part of the, uh, the academic faculty there. Very cool. Uh, so we, we do have a question. We do have a. Oh yeah, yeah. go ahead. Al. Yeah, yeah. We had someone comment when you were talking about residency, asking if it's really difficult to match with the residency at the end of med school. Yeah, great question. So that's changing. They're trying to make it a lot, um, 
uh, they're, they're trying to come halfway, so to speak, because before it was like it was a complete roll of the dice sometimes and people were devastated when they didn't get into the residency program that they wanted to, or sometimes they had to because, for example, they might have had a, uh, a significant other or a spouse that was already in some other residency and they pretty much had to move to that city to be able to see their other half and they didn't get into the residency program. It was kind of tough luck. Now they're trying to help out and um, they're trying to make it a little more palatable. Um, and for um, students who are applying, they're, they're giving you that hierarchy kind of tiered list where you put people in your uh, programs, not people, in your kind of top two or top three. And there's some kind of code words that you put in on there. Like I'm extremely interested in this program versus I'm very interested in this program kind of thing. And you can send letters to the residency program to convey just how much you want to go into one program versus other ones, which the residency programs know are your, your fallback or your safety uh, schools, so to speak. Because the same thing in medical school, you, you apply for you know, Harvard knowing that you might not get in, um, where as you might apply to a lower level school, I'm not going to name anyone because they're all, they're all good, all medical schools, but not everyone's Harvard. Um, whoever the number one school is these days. Uh, it's the same thing with residency programs. So you can list things and then they'll list you in terms of how much they like you. And then there's this really neat complex math that goes on where you kind of end up getting satisfied um, wherever you end up landing. You, you, it's, it's much more complicated than I, what I just said, but at least it's a way to make it a little easier. That one I don't know much on i'm not involved in um uh match day and matching um, i have reviewed residency applications and it's just the same as med school here at ucsd because i'm in employed in the department of orthopedic surgery working in sports medicine so i review the the applicants that come here um and they are amazing man oh man it's incredible what you guys can do these days um it's probably because UCSD is in California and a lot of people want to go to California. Not everyone lives in California. They want to, they want to live there for a couple of years of their life. And of course, you had to pick a colder Northern California versus sunny Southern California. A lot more applications end up going down to LA and San Diego. Uh, and then our chairman for, I can't remember how many years, who's now the Dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Garfin, he was an incredible uh, geekin, so to speak, in orthopedics that everyone wanted to come to the program here. So we see some uh, impressive applicants. Uh, and it's, it's just like medical school in terms of that sense for those real top tier uh, programs. But you'll get in. Uh, it's just th there's, 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 there's tiers, is basically what I'm trying to say. So good, good question. So uh, what did you do between your time at NYU and coming out here to UCSD? So you were, in, you were on the East yeah. Coast for a few years, right? Yeah, awesome, awesome question. Yeah, you, you, um, you're, you're, it's good stuff. So I um, started out as soon as I graduated in the middle of New York City, I graduated residence program looking for a job. Um, and, you know, in New York City, it's, it's competitive fast-paced environment and you might not be able to find a job and you kind of take the job that you can get really in New York City sometimes and I took that the job that I had 
was actually in the hospital, not at an outpatient or in clinics, but in, in hospitals and doing a rehab residency and having a, a rehab hospital. I did some, uh, some work there. I gradually grew into the outpatient world over a number of years as I was able to kind of dig in, so to speak, and move through the system at, uh, at NYU. Um, I started doing more of what I, I liked. Um, I didn't necessarily, um, I, I started doing more of what I liked. Um, then I started to get a little more experience in private practice. I found this incredible, gosh, I love those guys. I hope they're doing well. Um, office in Midtown, New York City, where um, I was doing all outpatient. And then I was starting to see a lot of uh, sports medicine. Um, in New York City, there's a ton of marathon runners. Man, I had no idea how many there were. Obviously, New York City Marathon is, is world renowned, but there are so many New Yorkers that love marathon. Um, so I saw a lot of sports medicine injuries, and a lot of marathon, a lot of endurance uh, medicine, exercise, physiology type of stuff. Um, which is, of course, right up my alley, so that was good. And then I also saw being in Midtown, New York City, right next to you know Times Square area, um, a lot of uh, performers, a lot of theater people, people going for Broadway, people on Broadway, off Broadway, ballet dancers, and incredible pathology of the ankle and foot and knee. Man, these dancers pushed through a lot of injuries, a lot of pain. Uh, and it was fascinating to see that. And it just continued on getting, expanding my experience in sports medicine um, and uh, just, just continued on. On a personal level, I continued just like I did in high school and in college and then in med school doing various different sporting activities. I ended up playing on a amateur baseball, you know, not, not softball, actual baseball. And these, these, these guys, man, they could, they could sling it fast. I mean, I was in my 30s then, and these guys were good. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I got a lot of more baseball experience. I started actually doing some uh, uh, medical uh, event coverage for the for the baseball league there, too. Um, so I, I just continued on getting more and more sports medicine um, experience and exposure. What drove me to come here was just more of a personal story. My wife and I had kids, and we had long talked about raising our kids in beautiful, as everyone else does, beautiful, sunny Southern California, rather than the high, high, stress, fast-paced environment in New York City, which is great when it was just me and me and my wife. But then when it was me, my wife, and kid number one, it became harder. And my wife, kid number two, it became very hard for us. We didn't have a huge extended family living in New York City to kind of help us. So we, we had talked about that for a while and then eventually uh, we just kept pushing year after year. We, we started to continue to look and then eventually um, I, I was able to find my way to, to San Diego. That's how I ended up getting, getting here. So you said you worked at like a private practice? Yeah. Before. How does that differ from like working at hospitals? Yeah, very much so, very, very much so. so Private practice in New York City is, uh, it's, it's intense. It's the business of medicine. I had no idea. I just loved doing the outpatient and seeing the sports medicine that I wanted to do more and more there. And eventually I was able to just work there full-time and to work full-time as your own doc, your own, your own boss, so to speak, you, you have to really get into the business of medicine. So I actually ended up having an MDPC. I, uh, that was, I had my own, uh, business corporation as a physician. And I did that for about four-ish years or so. 
and I, I didn't like it. It was not for me. Some people love it. Some people really get into a health policy and insurance and, and the intricacies of that, which is fascinating and only getting even more technical. So if you have a passion for that, like numbers, math, uh, economics, while you were in you know, high school and college, um, you would be in high demand because it's just so hard to, um, to, to navigate that world. Uh, so I ended up realizing that wasn't for me and um, was able to, so to speak, get out of that and slowly phase that out. And as I started finding opportunities in San Diego and was able to um, transition here, I, I got out of that. So it was, it was different. Um, being in uh, an academic world, it just felt more more comfortable to me because you're in a, you're in a pack of a lot of people and you can get support and resources around you. There's a little bit more red tape, so to speak, working in an academic uh, environment because you go to some more meetings and you're on a, the faculty. So you go to faculty meetings and there are certain committees in the hospital that you help out with, which is incredibly rewarding and, and, and wonderful. Um, but it's not as much where you just go to work and go home uh, when you're working for yourself and by yourself. So it's just, it's a trade-off one, one versus the other. Some, some people um, just hate meetings, absolutely. And some people like it. Yeah, so that's the difference. Um, so it's a great question uh, that I was able to experience. So I, I was happy that I was able to get a, a nice experience of a lot of things, inpatient, outpatient, uh, academic medicine, private practice, business of medicine, and now kind of coming back to ultimately what I really like, outpatient in academics with uh, teaching. So okay. does it require, oh, sorry, go sorry. ahead. Sorry, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, does it require any like additional education or anything like that to start your own private practice? Yeah, no, I, I didn't. Just I a just... business license. Yeah, just 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 winged it. I just went right in and said, I had to do this. I had no formal education on it. And you learn there's on the job, you know, learning, so to speak, as you as you learn. Um, the nice thing about some of the quote better programs in medical school, internship and residencies, they're starting to teach that now, uh, which is great. You start to learn a little bit more about health policy in the business of medicine, which is a nice um, uh, a nice plus if you can find that. But uh, you, you can find that now. Heck, there's a lot of stuff online that you can learn about those things. So I just kind of learned it on the job learning. On the fly. So uh, what's what's your career like now? Yeah. So, like, so do, you have a, do you have a good work-life balance? I, I, I know that's a big I thing. I do. I am very lucky <laughs> and fortunate to say that. Um, I, I actually have a, a pretty good balance. Actually, realizing as the sun is setting here, it's getting a little dark. I feel like I should turn on the uh, on the light. Here. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Are you? Can you see me? Okay, or we can, we can. Yeah, okay. Do you want me to turn on the light? Actually, I wonder if I could turn on. I have to. I have to move over. To... <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I'll keep working on the lighting here. Uh, so what what were you what were you talking about? <laughs> uh, so your work life balance. What is oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I I'm I'd like to say I'm I'm fortunate and and lucky. Uh, that's a little better now. There's a little bit of a glare there. There we go. But I I worked very hard to get that. I worked very very hard to get that because I I had a nice experience of all the different uh, pieces of medicine. That I was able to learn what's good and what's not, and what a good work-life balance is, and and um, unfortunately, uh, what what a tough working condition can be like. So, 
um, uh, I realized that I like being in clinic more than in the hospital. I liked more of a nine to five, you know, it's not nine to five. It's a little bit more like eight to five. Um, sometimes six, that does happen. But then oftentimes when I do more of that, I can find other gaps in my schedule where I don't have to work a full day where I can just work a morning and have an afternoon off. So there's ways that you can balance um, your, your schedule. So now going to work is more enjoyable. It's not such a, uh, not as much of a source of stress. Um, I do like being in the academic world because it actually gives you more of those freedoms where I can have some flexibility in the schedule. If I have to go, if I want to, or I have to go to a conference or present a poster or a paper, I have that flexibility, just um, take some, some time off to do that. And they help out uh, even with, with funding and reimbursement. Whereas if I was in private practice, I could work whenever I want and don't work if I don't want, but I got to pay the rent and got to pay the, the overhead for that office that I'm working at. And you tend to just really um, uh, end up being a work, workaholic, so to speak. And um, uh, if you like that, that's great. But I, I didn't. I like the academic world. So I was able to engineer a, a balance in my schedule where I have some time to do lectures and do teaching. I have some time to present a poster and meet people at conferences and talk with other sports med stock and collaborate on projects, which is so much fun. Uh, plus enough time in clinic where I'm just doing my typical work as a doctor, seeing patients, prescribing uh, drugs, doing injections, do, ordering MRIs and x-rays and putting on braces and splints and things like that, which by the way, that's my day in the life. If you were going to ask that question, I could, we, we can talk a little more about that. Um, so I've been able to develop a nice, nice balance. The um, big reason I came to UCSD is because I was looking for that. I was looking for a place that um, uh, emphasized um, your overall well-being, and UCSD is is great for that. No, I went to um, Rutgers in in undergrad and in a you know, big state school, like fifty thousand students. You're kind of a you get lost in the masses kind of place. NYU, a real traditional. When I was going to it. Uh, school where you 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 do this lecture, you take this this test, you do what we say, kind of thing. There's not as much flexibility. Um, and I found UCSD and I said, oh, "Sounds great. This is for me." Um, so I was able to, so to speak, uh, create or engineer that work-life balance into my into my life, and it's it's great. It's a lot of a lot of fun. <laughs> so, uh, what is your favorite part of sports medicine? To go off here. Uh, yeah. So, gosh, that is a hard question. I don't. I don't. Don't get asked that one a lot. Okay, what about yeah. this? So I, I know this is kind of cryptic, but what is your favorite injury? Yeah, no, no, no. These are great questions. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna try to figure this out here. So, um, hmm. Uh, let's see. So in terms of of injuries, you you tend to go by body parts a lot in sports medicine. Um, okay. Just kind of the way orthopedics ends up going into if you if you end up doing surgery you kind of have to do that you're either a foot and ankle surgeon or you're a, a spine surgeon or you're a, a hip or knee you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um when you're in when you're doing office-based orthopedics that i do and a lot of uh non-surgical procedures in office you 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 have the luxury of seeing all the different body parts but you end up enjoying some more than another. Um, I definitely like the shoulder and the knee. Those are my two definite um, ones that are I'm 
uh, fascinated by shoulder more because of the biomechanics and the kinematics of the shoulder joint and how the, the fascinating interplay happens. And once you learn it, suddenly everything makes sense. Um, a lot of times people have shoulder injuries and they get an MRI that completely does not correlate to their injury and they get treatment for that and they don't get better. Whereas if you figure out what's going on, um, learning a little bit of the combination of anatomy and biomechanics and physiology, you can figure it out. So I like that and that's more the science of, the, of, of me. I like the knee because I've injured it so much myself and I <laughs> know about it and I know it on the, on the patient experience side of it. And I know about a lot of different injuries. Oh, I remember when I had that one. Oh, I remember when I tweaked that and this and that. Um, and uh, the knee is a rewarding um, joint in orthopedics, so to speak, in the sense that this, this great um, sports medicine doctor uh, that said this at um, the, uh, the baseball um, conference for all the major league uh, baseball players, he said, you take a history on the shoulder and you examine a knee, which doesn't really sound like anything, but the, the key to the diagnosis in the shoulder is the history, learning about when does it hurt? How does it hurt? What position did it bother you when you fell on it? Did you fall this way or that way? But the knee is so hands-on, it's more the physical exam and those kind of magic things that the sports med docs do when they twist your knee this way, that way. Oh, I know exactly what's going on. It's this, this, or that. The, the knee is kind of satisfying in that you have the exam piece, um, which is starting to disappear in modern medicine. Everything's just going straight to tech and imaging and MRIs. Um, and even now there's, there's you know, all these other advanced uh, technology that I don't even know yet. Um, but the good old fashioned physical exam still holds true in the knee. So that, that's, my, that's my little answer on, on um, what, what injuries. It's more body parts than, than injuries. And then the other question, what were you saying? Because I, I think we're kind of winding, winding down here. What, um, what was the other question you said? What? It was, uh, what, what do you enjoy most about sports medicine? Uh, but I guess I guess you kind of answered that a little bit. I did. Or, um, favorite injury, Brad. Remember? Yeah, favorite injury. <laughs> yeah, it is. I get that's a hard one. I it would just be a whole nother hour just to go. Yeah. Where I like, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Then we do have a few more questions. Just kind of yeah. winding down. Sure. Um. So they're they're pretty quick ones. Uh. When did you become part of EIM of exercise and medicine? Oh yeah, good. It's great. So, um, I've been involved with it the American College of Sports Medicine, which is what EIM is part of exercise medicine, from first year of medical school. There was a conference uh, going on in, in, uh, in New York City, and I thought, that's cool, that sounds great, I wanna do that, and I went right to it. And that's how I got involved with the organization as a student member, and that, that was 1997, and I've been a member ever since. Um, just being part of an organization, you just start getting exposed to all of its arms and branches. And eventually when EIM came around, which was now 2007, uh, I, it, was, it was brand new back then, you know, 13 years ago saying exercise is medicine. I was like, what is that? But of course, exercise, that's, that fits with my, my world. So um, I looked into it. Uh, as I started to understand the concept of it and how to prescribe exercise, to patients, I started just started toying with it, so to speak, with different patients over the years, realized it was fascinating and in the right patient, it literally made a world of difference. It was, it was almost shocking. I remember one patient, one of the first patients I had at UCSD back in 2015, he had chronic pain. He was you know, unfortunately overweight and had some other medical conditions, diabetes and whatnot on a lot of meds and he was just going downhill and downhill. And the, he's trying every single thing, this drug, this, uh, you know, treatment, this injection. The one thing he was missing 
uh, he was trying exercise, he just wasn't doing it the right way for him. And I was able to work with him and talk to him over, it took about three or four visits to finally start to build that uh, framework for him to figure it out. And then I didn't see him for like six months and he came back and I, oh, I didn't even recognize him. It was one of those stories where I thought, is that you? And he said, and he had a big <laughs> smile on his face. He said, I, as soon as he walked, I walked in the room, he said, doc, I stopped my medications. I'm not on my diabetes med. Clothes don't fit me anymore. They're falling off me. I, my hair's growing back kind of thing. I don't know if it really was. He was kind of just saying that maybe. But, <laughs> and he, he, he hugged me and I, and I stood there kind of, you know, shocked and my hands were down and then I finally reacted and realized, okay, I got to, you know, reciprocate that and that was amazing how um getting back to the basics not going deep into the to the to the drugs and procedures and surgery which is still important and vital and needed uh in medicine but just taking the the step back uh you know from the view from above so to speak said what what are we missing in life so that's how i got involved in it and then just being part of acsm i was on committees I was, i've been on the medical education committee just volunteering my my services I kind of just got pulled in literally to exercise his medicine um, from people, you know, it's just the old who, you know, kind of thing. So uh, what are your future goals for exercise medicine? Yeah. Here at UCSD and like yep. you're, you're a SoCal uh, lead of the chapter, correct? Yes. Yes. So, so I, I guess Southern uh, California uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm in the, I'm, I'm on the board for the Southwest uh, chapter of the American College of Sports Medicine in the Southwest region, which most of it is, their meetings are just right in LA, uh, Long Beach, Costa Mesa area. Um, so it's, it is very close to home. My goal, uh, really, it's, it's just so hard to do things on a national level. I sat once on a um, research agenda workshop to help steer exercises of medicine realized I wasn't doing any of the research in it and couldn't really contribute, it was very hard. So I said, I, I need to, to focus on my home, my, 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 my peeps, my people. So I, I went right into the School of Medicine at, at UCSD and said, I can make some changes here. Uh, I, I wanna focus on that. So that's been my, my goal. Um, it started out with just an elective, a, a, not a mandatory class, but an elective in the medical school. And our first class, we had three students and then the next year it went to five, and the next year it went to eight and nine. So it just keeps growing as an elective. Then it, I was able to get one lecture, so 60 minutes of medical students' time in four years to talk about exercise as medicine, but it's better than zero. If you look at the numbers, and we talked about this, I think in the GBM meeting, there's only 10% reported uh, of medical schools that uh, provide training and their graduates are confident in doing, you know, talking about exercise as medicine and prescribing exercise as a prescription, just as you would prescribe any other drug. So that's been my push is to just improve things at UCSD. And then all the graduates at UCSD can go to their internship and residencies and spread the word that way. So that's my goal. Very cool. Uh, so, so one final question. Sure. For everybody listening. What do you do for your own personal health, your mental, physical, any advice for the listeners? Yeah. Is yeah. there anything you'd like prescribe us? Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is the really timely thing. Um, and we may, may go over just a few minutes if, if you don't mind on, on this one. Yeah, not at all. Because of, because of the pandemic, um, it has completely disrupted many exercise routines uh, of many people and, and interfering with their physical and mental health. Um, we all know that exercise, you know, staying, staying fit and healthy is the key to long-term health. Um, in this world that we're living in now, 
moderate exercise, so not severe exercise where you do an ultra marathons where it can actually weaken your body, but moderate exercise can actually improve the immune system. So being active can play a key role in surviving, not, not preventing COVID, but surviving the, the COVID epidemic. So we all need to get now more than ever, so to speak, we all need to get out there and exercise. But the problem is we can't, right? Gyms are, you know, you're, we're locked down, we're in lockdown, you're locked down at home, which means we're locked out of, of gyms. Um, and uh, many people have their set exercise routine and that's the only way they know how to exercise. They have the machines that they go through and they go from station to station, they have all the, the, the equipment and it's hard for them to switch gears and exercise in a, in a different way. So, you know, so, so, so what do you do? You need some personal strategy, really. There is no one uh, prescription that, that fits for everyone. The good news is, at least here in San Diego, um, exercise outside the home has been declared an essential activity in most areas. Um, as long as you have appropriate precautions, you are allowed to exercise. Now restrictions are starting to be lifted and, and loosened um, right now, so we'll see where that goes. But in general, at least in San Diego, outdoor is, is, is pretty much the go-to for, for many people just because we have the luxury of enjoying good, good weather. Um, walking, hiking, running, biking, all excellent and usually safe options. You know, it's easy in San Diego. We have so many um, residential communities interspersed between incredible nature where we have trails and open spaces, mountains just sitting right in front of you, beach and the Pacific Ocean. It's a little harder maybe in downtown San Diego or in any other city um, or even suburb, frankly. Uh, some, some communities have, I know, I think Seattle did this where they closed the residential streets just so people can walk. And some, some people closed it so it's single direction only, like if you're a mountain biker, single track you know, courses. Um, they've done that in streets now where one sidewalk, you walk in one direction just so you don't pass people and, and in theory spread uh, coronavirus. Um, so it's, but it's still outside walking. Uh, the way to be safe that I've been telling people, if you don't mind me saying this, is you know just use your, your dog on a leash model. Most people have about a six foot dog leash. So just imagine if you're walking and you see someone in front of you walking past you, imagine if they have a dog, just kind of stay within that six foot bubble so you don't get bit, so to speak, if it was a bad dog. Um, <laughs> but the, the neat thing of the, of the research that's coming out, and this is part of me just being the, the, the geek about it, I started looking up studies on this. Um, there's one neat study, I think it's in uh, Belgium or the Netherlands, or maybe both, I can't remember, of the slipstream effect. Have you, have you gotten, have you heard about this? So apparently, um, you know, if you're walking, you know, these studies of this, this the six feet model uh, was based on, on room air, indoor air that's not moving. When you're outdoor, there, there's a little bit of a slipstream when you're running. We don't run that fast. Things are just flying past us. But particles are going past us in, in a slipstream type of effect. And that six feet is not really adequate if you're behind a runner. Uh, you might need to be more like a couple meters, like four to five meters behind someone. Um, because it's been shown that when you're breathing hard, there, there's, there's more virus expelling. I think there's that, I don't know if you're following the news, but I think there was some of those like an Oregon church choir or something that was doing a lot of singing, even though they were physically, I think, practicing appropriate social distancing. They were singing so hard that, that they were spread, <laughs> spreading coronavirus that oh, way. Wow. And obviously, same thing with running, jogging and whatnot. You're breathing hard. It, even if you have a mask on, it can go behind you if you're behind that person. 
biking is even worse. I've, I've gotten into cycling since I've come to San Diego. Um, if you're riding fast, it, it could be even as far as 10 meters or, or, or 20 meters. Um, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. So you just have to be careful. Go outdoors is, is the key um, because that'll help your physical and mental health, sunlight, fresh air, seeing other people in the world, you know, instead of being, you know, locked down at home, it certainly helps. Um, but just be a little, be a little, little safe with that. The other stuff in terms of exercise, you know, if you don't want to be outdoors or if you have concerns that if you're really truly safe outdoors, as a lot of people do, people are still scared of that. And I understand, um, well then exercise in your home. And now with the internet, my gosh, it's so easy to find so much. There's, there's calisthenics, there's strength exercises, cardiovascular activities, balance exercises, stretching, you know, on, on, on the internet, yoga, Tai Chi, stress reduction. It's fascinating what's out there. That one is just pick, pick whatever you'll keep doing because um, you get bored doing the same thing over and over again. So just pick, pick one that you like. Um, if you happen to own an old piece of exercise equipment that just kind of sat in your garage, well, now's the time to dust it off, so to speak. Um, <laughs> I remember that's one of the, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine past presidents kind of said that recently and I thought that was interesting. So there you go. Um, that, that's probably my, my recommendation there. I wanted to say that because that's a lot of people ask about it and it's, it's, it's a struggle, but we can, we can get through this. We're all in this together. Is the same. <laughs> we are, we are all in this together. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Vitale for uh, coming on and talking to us for so long <laughs> about your journey and everything. Absolutely. Uh, we really appreciate it. Sure. And, and I, I wish you all the best of luck. Keep, keep at it, push hard and, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, uh, in some way, shape, or form, we, when you know, after you graduate, and for other people who are taking over the the um, the uh, student organization, absolutely. All right, and uh, to all you listening, uh, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, everything like that. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, guys. Stay safe. Be sure to check out our latest video podcast on our YouTube channel, Exercises Medicine at UCSD. Follow us on social media, EIM at UCSD on Instagram and EIM at UCSD on Facebook. Subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and the link should be available on our Facebook page. It's a fun weekly read that covers common injuries, sports medicine trivia, food recipes, and more. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to see you next time.